Welcome to the next episode of the podcast. Today we have Brian Riley, the supervisor of science, technology, engineering, and math, and Andrea Anderson, our Cedarbrook eighth grade math teacher. So welcome, everybody. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Um, so, Andrea, we asked you um, if you'd be willing to step in and record a podcast, um, largely because of your peers recommending you. Um, when I sent out the survey to staff saying, recommend a fellow peer who's doing a lot of work around engagement, your name was recommended numerous times by different people. Um, and so that, you know, when I saw that, and there were other, lots of people were also mentioned, but you sort of stood out as someone who was recommended by numerous people. Wow. Um, which is, which is, it, 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 it stood out. You know, it's like Andrea Anderson. Andrea I'm Anderson, surprised. Andrea Anderson. I was like, wow, this person is, is really doing some work around engagement. Um, so I was thinking we might just start, um, with a question. If, if I was an eighth grade student and I was in your class, um, just like briefly walk me through sort of like a typical day in your classroom. Like what does school look like for a kid in Andrea Anderson's math class? Well, um, when the kids enter the room, I have two bell work problems. They're usually PSSA practice. That's the only time I do PSSA practice. And I usually make it multiple choice because I want to teach kids how they can actually excel at multiple choice tests without even really knowing the concepts. The basic okay. things they need to know, how to substitute, how to eliminate, you know, distractors, mm -hmm. and try to use intelligent guessing. After that, um, it depends. Like sometimes I'll give the kids a challenging problem. I'll put different problems up around the room and have kids work in stations and try to solve the problem. Um, sometimes it's a problem that's novel, but I tell them, you know, you've had seven years of math, so just try to brainstorm, think through it, and figure it out. You don't have to get it right, but just try. So when you say you have kids working in uh, stations to solve a math problem, like, wh what does that actually look like? What do you mean by that? Well, in my class, I have a whole wall of whiteboards. So I'll put a problem up. Like, I cut out problems on smaller paper. And I'll put a problem up on each whiteboard so the kids can actually write on the whiteboard to solve the problem in their small groups. That's okay. when I do problem-solving days. I mean, I don't okay. always do that. Sure. Um, so then, okay, so then students are solving problems in those groups. And um, they're standing. And they're, and they're, oh, and they're standing. They're standing. Okay. So you have them actually standing up around right. um, sort of in areas, pods. pods in the room. Okay. Yeah. And how are those groups chosen? Um, sometimes I choose the groups based on... Like, if I've done a test and I see where certain kids uh, are grouped together based on how they did on a certain question, or sometimes I'll just count off 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and gotcha. have them go that way. Okay. Every once in a while, the kids will say, well, may I choose my group? And I'll let them choose. Okay. Okay. So it depends. Um, and how did you set out men? Because I'd imagine, you know, teaching eighth graders, anytime you try to set kids into new groups... Sometimes you can get a lot of like, oh, I don't want to work with this yeah. person. I don't want to, you know, there's a very natural reaction to expect from, from middle schoolers. How do you manage that? Well, I didn't really see that as much 
because we started the year this way. So the kids are, I think they are adjusted to the idea of you never know who you're going to work with because this is the way we started it from the beginning of the year. So the tone okay. was set from the beginning when a lot of kids, some, a lot of kids knew each other, but there were kids who didn't know each other. Didn't, I didn't give them that choice in the beginning. Okay. So the tone was already set from the beginning. I see. So it's just when the, it's early in the year, you know, things are wide open and you start setting those expectations around yes. your plan on working with different kids every yes. day kind of idea. Yes. <laughs> um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so then what would sort of be the next part of class after that? Um, sometimes I have them, sometimes I try to make it a game. Like I'll say, I'll go around the room and I'll look and if a, per, if a group has it right, I'll say, okay, tally mark. And I'll give them the thumbs up. So they put a tally mark each time they get a problem right. Other times I have them looking at each other's work to see who has it right. So they have to determine, well, that process and answer looks right. And they have to talk back and forth, debate about it. It depends on the day. Okay. It depends on the day. And sometimes I'll have them do just error analysis and why they think they're right and the other stuff. <laughs> uh, okay. So comparing their work to others. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question? Check this out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so jumping in, while the kids are in their groups at the board, is there a lot of like dialogue within the group or does oh, yeah. one student usually just take the marker and run with? Sometimes. Solid? It depends. Some groups... You have all three students are trying to be the writer. Other groups, you'll have one person writing and the other person is basically talking them through. I try to keep the groups very small. So two to three kids in a group. Two to three kids, okay. So then you're just managing a lot of groups. Yes. Instead of like five groups of six kids or whatever. Right. Okay. Um. But it's easy to see what's going on because of the whiteboards. Because I can just stand in the middle and I can see exactly what's going on. And are all the groups working on the same problem? Sometimes. Okay. But other times you'll assign different problems to different yes. groups. Okay. And when you're having, you're talking about having students compare what they were doing relative to another group and sort of comparing, like, how did we come to the conclusions that we came to? How do you manage that kind of peer critique, especially in something like math? You know, that seems that, I imagine that would be daunting to try to set up. For some reason, it's worked well. I haven't seen, I mean, you mentioning, you asking this question is like, wow, it could have been a problem, right? <laughs> but I haven't really experienced any issues with it. It's okay. been smooth. The kids have been great with it. Okay. Um, do, do you do anything in particular to try to manage students who may struggle in math? and the impact that peer critique would have. And in other words, you don't want to have a kid who often feels like they get the wrong answer. So mm -hmm. like, how do you manage that? Because you know, if, if a kid feels like they often have the wrong answer and they keep feeling like they're always having the wrong answer, mm -hmm. then oftentimes they're going to stop being engaged. So how do you sort of work mm -hmm. around that? Or how, how do you maybe keep that, take that into mind when you're planning your lessons? Well, although I have the kids working in groups, I have had that problem um, where there's a group 
or a student who always happens to be in the group where they don't figure it out right away or they haven't been able to figure it out. I usually go to that group quietly and give them hints. And I'll go to different stations so I'm not singling them out. So okay. they kids know that every once in a while I'll go and I'll give them a hint on how to do the problems. Okay. So they, they don't get they don't find themselves in a, in a situation where um, they're they're just feeling like it's a failure. I don't think so. But you would have to ask the kids. Well, sure. Fair <laughs> enough. And Fair I usually enough. extend the time if I see where a group is struggling and the other groups figured it out. Mm -hmm. I'll just extend the time you know, without letting them know, just to give the other group enough time to get it done. Gotcha. Okay. Or sometimes I'll even ask a student to go around and help. For like, so a student who has finished yes. has shown you that they know what they're yeah. doing on XYZ standard. Yes. And then you send them out. Okay. And, and does this work equally well in all three levels? I believe so. I don't really get those issues often. <clears throat> okay. It doesn't, I mean, it seems like the kids are usually motivated. They usually end up figuring it out. Some, it just takes longer than others. But that's okay. I'm okay with that. So, I mean, the question I really want to ask with that is, like, how did you make that happen? <laughs> because, well, I mean, that's incredibly challenging. It is challenging, but I tell the kids, and I reinforce this, I keep saying it, It, I don't care if you get the problem wrong. I just want you to try. Sometimes I'm more interested in your process. Like, what did you do? Why did you do that? And the answer doesn't matter. Like, what were you thinking? So that's, the, that's where I want to get my students. I want to get them to the point where they're taking risks in math mm -hmm. and not just worrying about, oh, did I get it right? like what's your process what were you thinking or after I go over it I'll ask the kids in their groups or which group um, came close to you know like did you come up with this step maybe not the next step but you were on the right path mm -hmm. so the kids know it's not just about getting the right answer so you know, when I hear that, what I'm thinking about in terms of what the individual students are doing, and, and I don't mean the activities that you put in front of them, mm -hmm. um, because I know there's a lot of engagement activities, in air quotes, that you utilize. And, and so that's, that's an instructional technique that you employ. But aside from the actual strategies that you're putting in place, it, it's sounding like what really makes it work isn't the strategies you're using, but the fact that you have the kids owning their work and owning their participation, really, in what they do in your class. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that, that in and of itself is an incredible feat <laughs> to, to be able to get, to be able, for you to be able to, to, to say without batting an eye, I don't really have those problems when referencing like kids not being engaged in, of all things, math. Yeah, they're usually I mean, excited about it. I mean, I was surprised just having them getting up and working through problems. They're excited about it. I mean, I remember there was a day when I wasn't doing that because I don't remember what was going on. Something was going on in the class where I had to do something where I couldn't. Oh, I know what happened. I had 
other students in my room because other teachers were out. So I had a full, more, the class was full. So I wasn't gonna have the stations. So the kids looked at me like, are you gonna have us work in stations? Are we gonna move around? I'm like, the class is too full, you know, we can't really do it right now. And they're like, oh man. <laughs> so they look forward to it. Right. And I think it's just being social, getting up and working through problems, not having to just sit there and listen to a lecture. Christian Sanborn, please call 4,000. And one thing, um, my pre-algebra kids, I have to be honest, before I did this, I was nervous about it because I, the dynamic, you know, the, way, the energy and the kids are just sometimes a little off the wall. I thought this was going to be hard to do with them, and it worked out great. I mean, they are more motivated than I've ever seen in the years I've taught pre-algebra. Wow. So and the kids, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was going to ask, did you try this with a pre-algebra group before? Did you start it with like your geometry students and work backwards? Yeah, geometry was always easy. That was something, you know, that was like the way we did things. Mm -hmm. But I never really did it with the other kids. Okay. And then, but I thought if I could do it with geometry, why can't I do it with the other kids? But I was nervous about doing it with the other kids. And I even tried it last year, like within the year, and it did not work well. Mm -hmm. um, but this year, I think because I started it from the beginning, it's like that was the tone of the class. Like you're right. going to work in groups, you're going to problem solve. And it's been great. The kids have been so motivated. And I'm not sure if it's because of the group of kids, but this has been working really well. So I'm thinking just from like a strategic perspective, if if you hand a, an individual student and tell them to work on their own on a worksheet of problems, of algebraic problems, and there's 30 problems on the page, <laughs> um, you know, the advantage of that, you would say, well, we put this in front of them, 20 minutes went by on the clock, and in that 20 minutes, the, the student was able to, to repeat, have a lot of repetition in terms of what we're asking the kids to do, right? Mm -hmm. I think everyone remembers from math class, the right. teacher's like, turn to page 182, do all the odd numbers. Right? And it's a lot of problems and you have to do them all. So the sort of what you're talking about is more deliberate and less about how much repetition can we get done in a relatively short amount of time. Absolutely. So. I actually thought about um, you know, the fact that I don't really do the worksheets anymore. I actually take a worksheet and I'll put it, I'll change it into a problem-solving activity where the kids are just going through all the problems, but it's like they're on a timer and they're working together, they're problem-solving, and they're getting through all the problems faster because they feel like, oh my gosh, this is like a race. Let me hurry up and get it done, as opposed to sitting there like just working out problems. So they're getting through the problems just in a different way. How has this changed teaching for you? I'm not as tired. <laughs> You're not as tired. I'm not as tired. Although I'm spending exhausting. I'm spending a lot of time planning, but I don't feel as tired. By this time last year, I was mm -hmm. beat. Ready for vacation. Ready for Thanksgiving like 3 weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm I'm fine. Um so maybe you can paint that picture for us a little more like so you come, you know, you're in school, you're in front of kids for however many hours a day, just like you were before, right. presumably the same amount of time. Right. Um, 
you know, how is your role as the teacher, or how does it look different for you in terms of, like, if you could go back and watch a video of yourself from last year, and then you watch a video of yourself from this year, like, how, what is it that's actually different that's making you leave you every day and not feel exhausted? Last year, well, I was always the teacher who would try to think of how can I best teach my students. But I don't think I trusted my students enough. It was more, I felt like I had to explain it. I had to be the one to kind of guide them more. This year, I'm trusting them more in terms of giving them the opportunity to make mistakes, give them the opportunity to struggle through the problem and not try to save them, not try to rescue them. So I was more of a rescuer. Now I am just okay. trusting them more. I see. Um, and that energizes you. It does. Really. <laughs> and then when you have the kids who figured it out and they're excited and you always have the moments where kids say, yes, I got it. And it's like, that's what it's about. That is what it's about. <laughs> they're more excited when they figure it out without you having to basically prescribe every step mm -hmm. for them. Okay. And so you mentioned that, on, so on the one hand, in terms of your time in the classroom, um, you're finding it less exhausting. Yes. On the other hand, you mentioned planning as being sort of a key component to you being able Absolutely. to run the classroom you run. Um, you know, what do you mean by that? What? Well, it's not just planning the activity. It's planning how you set up the activity so that you don't have a lot of off-task behaviors. Um, so you have to think, well, after they finish this problem, when they finish early, what's going to happen next? Do I have them rotate this way? Do I put up numbers over here so that, you know, like figuring out how they're going to rotate, how they're going to move from one activity to the next? So, like, these are the things you have to think about because they're middle school kids. So, you right. have to be very structured. So, it sounds like you're creating a, like, it sounds like you have to create a game show. Kind Sometimes of. it feels like that. <laughs> like a game show. It feels like that. Um, or make it feel like it's a game show <laughs> to them. <laughs> that's interesting. You know, there's a whole world out there of what they call gamification, mm -hmm. where, they, where you take otherwise mundane things and transform them into games. Mm -hmm. um, that, 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 I mean, there's a, whole, there's a whole world of people out there who do just that mm -hmm. because they gamify things. And it sounds to a certain extent like you're gamifying math class. Yes. It's, and sometimes it happens without me realizing it. Just like the thumbs up, like, tally mark. I didn't realize how doing something that simple, the kids were excited. And even days after, as they're doing it, and I'm like, yes, you got it right. And they're like, tally mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's so simple. It's the little things sometimes. But they get excited over those things. And I didn't expect it. <laughs> so is that more than motivation for them to than yes. getting it right or getting the grade or getting the acknowledgement? Probably all of that. Interesting. Because I mean, when I taught math, it was all about the grade. Oh, no. It was all about, so if I turn in this homework, I get so many points. And if I do this on this test, I get so many points. So what right. does that equate to? Right. You know what? That's a good point because I do realize that kids, like in the past, Kids wanted to know, well, what am I going to get for this? Am I going to get a treat? Or, But now they're not even concerned about that. Or maybe they are. They're not saying it. 
So it seems like this is more motivating for them, just to get up and work things out with their their friends. And as I told you before, sometimes the pressure of having to display their work and compl- and see and have other kids looking at what they're doing, it's like they're motivated to learn the material. Public accountability. Yes, that's huge. Um, that's really interesting. So I, I'm thinking, you know. My final question for you is around, you were talking about how because you started doing things the way that you're doing them from the very beginning of the year, that's what's made it work for you. You know, what was sort of going through your mind or what shift happened between the end of last year and the beginning of this year that you decided, I'm doing this. I'm, we're going to start on day one, and this is what it's going to look like, and I'm doing it, and I'm going to take this risk. Um, you know, maybe you can just sort of tell us about that. Actually, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do from last year. But last year, when I tried to have the kids working in stations, I liked the idea of it. In theory, it made sense in my brain. But when I actually tried to put it in practice, it was a disaster last year. And I always knew I wanted to do something so that the kids are more excited about being in math class but I just didn't really know how to do it. Um, So over the summer, like any other summer, I'm always trying to think of different activities, different ideas, different things to do. So I'm always doing research, like how can I make my class more exciting? Um, And then the school district, of course, they were talking about engagement, and that was like the buzzword, and that's what they want to push. And when I went to the first PD, Um, my principal and assistant principal, they did an activity where they're teaching us about the Danielson framework, and they just did it in a different way, which has had us going to different stations. And I was just like, wow, because when I walked in, I'm thinking, oh, another Danielson (laughs) (laughs) PD, like this is going to be so boring. But the way they did it was, it was simple, but it was more interesting for me. So I'm like, I can do simple things to make my class more interesting. Just take a boring worksheet and make it more exciting. Having kids put their answers up, A, B, C, on a card. You know, like just little things. Taking a boring lesson like ordering real numbers, put it on colorful cards and have the kids put it together. Or plotting it on a number line, the human number line, you know, Put a number line on the floor instead of having it on paper. Just changing things, just tweaking things a little bit to make it more interesting. Just adding a little bit of physicality. Yes, movement, movement, movement. That's been the thing. How can I get the kids to move and learn? Um, what was that? Ms. Anderson, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. And um, we'll see you next time.